hearing screams and they saying we sold out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm hearing screams from the stands cause we sold out. It's so loud. I got one life so I spend time trying to live to the next one. If you don't like it, it is what it is. 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 Welcome to Capital Punishment. I'm Lorenzo Alexander and I'm here with my man Kedrick Ghostin. Ked, man, what's going on with you? No, I hear that, brother. I hear that, brother. You doing uh, living it up down in uh, what South Beach? You down in Miami getting a uh, little training in, huh? Yeah, not South Beach. It's uh, North Miami. Uh, South Beach is about forty-five minutes away, but it's still Miami, so it was ninety degrees today. So I'm out there on that turf grinding it away, trying to get healthy, uh, trying to make another run at it. But I got no complaints. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Well, you, you definitely probably have a little bit better weather than me and probably had a little bit better than a uh, day as well, man. I I got pulled over and uh for a fix it ticket for my, my registration, you know, that uh that um what is they what do they call it? That one it's like a seven sixteen that's in there. Obviously it's no longer two thousand sixteen. Um, just to make sure everything is in compliance with Virginia. They stopped me for it and gave me a ticket today. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You just got pulled over for no reason. Gave you a ticket well, well, not no reason. My, my, um, I, I can't even think of what it's called. I mean, it's that you know, you get the your safety the safety inspection. There you go. Okay. So, I don't know. He spotted it, I don't know how he spotted it, but he saw that blue and came and got me today. <laughs> I was like, all right, all right. Then, he, then he was trying to tell me something on my, on my truck because I had a lift on it. He was trying to tell me, uh, well, I don't think this is gonna pass the inspection. I will get up underneath your car, but, uh, I'm I'm not going to do all that right now. I was like, dude, man, I had this car since 2009. I, I man, think I'll pass. You know what's crazy enough is I had a, a trooper pull me over probably about four years ago. I was coming back from Costco. I was on Sickle, and he pulls me over, and he walks around my truck for probably like three or four minutes, right? I'm like, <laughs> what is this guy? What, what is he really looking at? And he's like, uh, your lift's too high. And I and, and without even thinking, I was like, "Did you measure it?" <laughs> right. Because this lift is like three or four years old. And so then he went to tell me how my headlights were, my tail lights were illegal because they were blacked out. I'm like, "Sir, these are bought from the factory. They actually." So long story short, um, I kind of had a similar experience. I don't remember if I got a ticket or not, but I think my milk went bad because it was in the summer and I had a oh, trip yeah. from groceries. Well, you know, you you KG, you know, the bigger figure. He probably didn't give you no ticket, man, but he gave me one. You know, I don't play with the skins no more, so he wrote me up real quick today. Well, as of right now, neither one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is best I'm in Miami. Right, right. No, it's crazy, though, man, but uh, it's always good to catch up with you, man. Let's get into this show a little bit. I know we wanted to go over some of these uh, NFL rules. We wanted to talk about uh, the coach over at UConn Women's Basketball, Coach Geno. Um, some of the things that he was talking about, but um, let's 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 jump it off with this NBA players. You know, they they're talking about like LeBron and Kyrie and Steph and you know whoever the the big stars are kind of sitting out of these games. And just wanted to kind of get your feel on it. You know, obviously we play football and it's a little bit different. We don't play the two games, but you know, what's your perspective as, as far as these guys sitting down and fans not getting to be able to see them play? Um, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, obviously, when you got, you know, I think it, and I could be totally mistaken, but I think it started with the Spurs um, in recent history with Tim Duncan, uh, Manu, uh, Parker. And those guys were up there. They had a lot of miles on them. So from that standpoint, I can understand, you know, Coach Popovich giving them the night off um, just to rest them up because obviously the regular season matters, but those guys at that point in their career were playing to um, – 
playing for their uh, the dynasty and you know to win championships. Right now it's a little different because now you know obviously coming out of the West with the Warriors and the Spurs. I know a couple of weeks ago, uh, none of the big three for Golden State played. It's almost like, a, or how it was portrayed as if, oh, look, we're getting back at you because you're not going to play your guys. We're not going to play us. And almost playing a little cat and mouse game, knowing that, you know, if they both play the way they're supposed to play, that they're going to end up playing each other in the playoffs. So from the fans' perspective, um, I think it's unfortunate. From the players' perspective, especially those guys that are up there, you know, 12, 13, 14 years in the NBA, um, a night a night of rest is a night of rest. You know what I mean? And, and that's going to pay dividends down the road. Yeah, and, and I guess I get that from perspective because, I, you know, I took Wednesdays off this year. You know, I got a little got a little love in that aspect. But then I, I started thinking, I said, man, are we getting soft? Is this the science? What is it? Because, you know, back in the day when MJ and them boys was playing, there was no nights off. I mean, them guys played a lot of minutes. And, you know, they obviously MJ, I mean, he won six titles. You think about Magic, you think about Bird. I don't know. If because we if we weren't as aware of it with social media and obviously and all the coverage, if those guys sat down. But you just I just remember seeing those guys every single night, you know, and putting up big numbers and going deep in the playoffs and coming back year after year after year, still grinding and still doing that same thing. Yeah, I mean that's a great question. Obviously, um, you know, without having all the numbers and statistics in front of me, um, you know, the season is still what eighty two games. Um, if anything, and this this is without any research, maybe the game has played a little bit faster than it was back then. So I would like to see, like, you know, with all the modern-day analytics. and yeah. I'm sure the NBA guys don't have tracking devices on them, but I wonder if the actual miles in the game has increased. And so that's why some of the coaches – because Coach Pop, he's old school, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's the one that kind of started this. Obviously, he had older players and, and things so much. But I think, if I'm not mistaken um, – you know, Jordan had one year off the year he went to go play baseball. So that was a year off that he had that he didn't have the wear and tear mm-hmm. on his body. But, you know, I think maybe we're more aware of it. Obviously, with social media, people not playing. If that would have happened, you know, 20 years ago, you know, that city, that town would have been upset. But, you know, nobody would have really cared about it. And I think now that, you know, some of the younger players in the NBA, even though they probably are tired, um, you know, getting rest is kind of – making a bigger deal about it than what it is. But at the end of the day, you know, we are, you know, we're professional athletes, but we're entertainers. And you should go out there and put your best foot forward. I don't think it's necessarily an an indictment on the current players because I honestly think Steve Kerr played on those Bulls teams. And so if if he's going to give his guys the night off, Coach Popovich is going to give his guys the night off, then I think that, you know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say they know a lot more about it than I do. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I mean, you don't want to be dumb, tough. I, I, you know, that's what Flesh used to always say, you know. You definitely want to be smart about the way you approach it. And if you don't necessarily need to be out there, there's no reason to. You know, I, I even think about, you know, they're giving all this slack and um, uh, criticism the guy sitting down. But, you know, you, let's take, take for example, the Warriors last year. I don't, those guys really didn't rest too much. I mean, here and there maybe. But they end up breaking the, the record, obviously, for single-season games won, but then end up losing the championship. And then it's like, oh, well, y'all not the greatest, y'all not this, y'all not that. But if those guys may have taken a several more days off and not chased the record, maybe they would have had enough legs to finish off Cleveland when they had the opportunity to and not allow that series to get to seven. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that's a great point. But I think, you know, now in 
the modern day. I mean, we understand, and I think a lot of people do understand that, you know, it's about the season. It's about having a successful season. But when you get to a certain caliber of team, you're only, you know, the, the New England Patriots, uh, as good as they are, they could go, you know, the year that they went, you know, uh, 16 and 0 in the regular season, yeah. and then they lost the Super Bowl. It was, you know, nobody, it was all for nothing. You know what I mean? And so I think based off of how people view success nowadays as saying, hey, you know, like one of our old coaches used to say, there's only one team that's happy at the end of the year. That's the team that wins the championship. <laughs> right. And so I think from that standpoint, we've all sit up there. We all say, well, if they don't win the championship, then what is it all for anyway? So I think coaches and not to mention, I mean, you know, what we know about conditioning and sports performance has changed a lot since back in those days. So understanding that, Yes, it is a point about being ter- uh, tough and grinding things out. But at the end of the day, the ultimate goal is to win a championship. And so if I'm able and, and I have the ability to rest some guys because I, I am having a successful season, then in some regards, you've earned that. That still doesn't take away from the fact that somebody paid their hard-earned money to see uh, money to see LeBron James, you know, Kyrie Irving, uh you know, Golden State with uh, Steph Curry, Iguodala, so on and so forth. So um, it's it's kind of tough, and I see both ends of it. You know, but at the end of the day, I think um, 82 games is a grind. You know, who knows how those guys' knees and ankles and backs feel, you know, running up and down that court. And they get paid a lot of money to do it, rightfully so. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm, that is an organizational decision. So like anybody, if your boss told you you could have a day off, you're going to take it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I, like I said, man, I got a couple of those this year, and I, I, I definitely um, used them to my advantage where I probably could have toughed it, you know, toughed through a Wednesday practice and made it through and went out there and did everything. But um, like you said, what is that really going to accomplish for me to be able to perform on Sunday for us? You know, obviously our season is set up a little bit different, but then, you know, deep in the playoffs for um, LeBron, Kyrie, all these stars that we see sitting down. But I wanted to trans, you know, kind of um, do a segue on that because you, you, you kind of mentioned how things have changed, the game has changed, and we also see the evolution of football. You know, every year they have the competition committee uh, meetings down at, the, uh, at Indy where the players have an opportunity to meet with the, the committee and kind of tell them from our perspective what we see, what we don't like. Uh, they either listen or they don't. And then obviously in the owners meeting coming up here soon, I think it's next weekend uh, down in Arizona at the Biltmore, um, they will be actually voting on some of these rules. And I had, a, I had a chance to look at some of them. I actually had the pleasure of being able to sit in on that meeting as well. Um, and some of the things that kind of just jump at, out at me, I don't, I don't know if, if certain rules jump out at you, but I was kind of li- listening at, um, I can't say who's proposing it, but I want to say um, they are now making receivers defenseless in that five-area um, kind of hit zone that you have right now. So there's no longer, you know, chipping a guy or jamming him or getting your hands on him or, you know, giving him a little shoulder. Um, he, he, they're making him defenseless. And for me as a defender, they're making it even harder to send Wes Welker or Edelman or any of those slot quick guys a little message, like don't mess with me, don't come in here. Uh, they're taking away, you know, from that game and trying to make it a little bit more speed game. So I didn't, I didn't know if you saw anything that really was that jumped out at you, but, you know, what, what do I mean, you feel about I some think, of those? I think that that that, that is um, 
that is one, and it, it didn't stick out as much as as the, the the targeting and the immediate ejection out of the uh, game. But yeah, talk about not touching the receiver um, within that five. You know that normally you got five yards to put your hands on them to redirect them, understanding that you know a pass rush needs to get after the quarterback. But at the end of the day, the defensive backs and the linebackers need to disrupt that timing to give the you know the big guys enough time uh, to get there. You know, honestly, I think the NFL and the NFLPA um, has made tons of strides in making the game safer. Right. Because it needed to become safer. But honestly, my opinion on on this rule is is almost like a fantasy rule. Because (laughs) people people come because they want to see points and they want to see big plays. And I get that. And the game, you you know, the forward pass is why the game is so successful now. But at the end of the day, from my standpoint, um, we make so many. We make you know we make ten rules to help the offense and one rule to help the defense. Yeah. And so it's become so one sided that it you know why in the world um, you know from a defensive perspective you know why would you want to coach in the NFL outside of just being at the top of your profession because the rules are against you. It's yeah. not much you can do. Uh, besides just go out there and almost, you know, play no-touch tag. Yeah, I mean, because they're even Especially talking about... Especially like that. Right, because they're even talking about expanding the crown of the helmet foul to include the hairline part of the helmet. And when I think about the hairline, that's where um, your eyes are kind of sitting at, so that, that piece right above your helmet, that's where your hairline is. How, I mean, how, how do refs make that call anyway? Is there going to be a... Are they going to put, like, another stripe around our helmet to signify where the, the, the hairline is. Um, it's hard enough I mean, to tackle now. Uh, now you have to, I mean, you have to keep your head really out of it. If you wrap a guy up and front him up, I, I, you know, I don't get it. My honest opinion, and I really do believe this, is that the reason why, there's a couple of reasons why, but I think the reason why concussions are up is, one, we're more aware of them. We do a better job of reporting them. Players right. understand their long-term health. But the easier you make it to throw the football, the more violent and the more high-speed collisions you have. So with, with you not allowing that defensive back or that dime, you know, nickel or whatever, to put their hands on that slot receiver, the next guy he's going to run to is an inside linebacker. Right. So he's running full speed, and it's a bang-bang play. Instead of him getting jammed, because, you know, I'm pretty sure – that, you know, the passing game is working even where the rules are now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if anything they should address, they should address all the uh, pick plays that these offenses are running. You know, the Peyton Manning-style well, offense. With, exactly. You know, hey, hey. Stuff like that. Believe, believe me, they, 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 it was addressed and it was shut down quickly because it is an offensive league and that gets guys first downs and touchdowns, especially in their red zone. No doubt about it. So I, I understand it. I, I, I really understand. And, you know, who doesn't want to see the, the deep pass and see the slant go for 80 yards? I mean, that that's fun. That's football. But from the defensive standpoint of it, and really for, for the safety of the game, if you give the defense more ability to disrupt offenses legally, I think it makes the game safer. And, you know, it, it gives at least the defense a chance. And that's all we can ask for is a chance in a league where 
it is dominated by quarterbacks right. and receivers. And, and that's fun to watch, but what is that really helping? You know what I mean? And I think at the end of the day, it's still football. And it needs to be football, and there's something that's genuine in the toughness of the game of why it is the most popular sport. Yeah, it's crazy. They paying all those quarterbacks all that money and making the game easier for them to be successful. I don't, you know, I don't know if that correlates. Don't you get paid because your job is harder to do? But <laughs> I'm not mad at them. It just doesn't make sense at all. But but and then talking about the other rule, as far as like you know adopting the college rule of targeting, yeah, um, you know immediate ejection, which I think is actually written in the rule now. But the referees have the discretion um, to decide, and and I don't think it's happened. Um, any times, uh, many times, if, if at, at any. But I think in the heat of the moment, um, I just don't think you want to take players off the field. One, because you're only allowed – college is different. You know, you have a ton of guys on the sideline. You three or four deep at a position. Right. You know, you mess around and you take out, you know, a safety because he – you know, it was a bang-bang play. Mm-hmm. There was no ill intent. It just – it happened the way it happened because right. it's football. Now you now you've lost a free safety. You may have lost you know one of your gunners, one of your protectors on the yeah. team, one of your kids. So now you've lost three or four positions. All and it's not that you can and you know the fact that it may get appeal and say hey you know we we were wrong. He shouldn't have been ejected. Well, there's nothing we can do about that now. Right, Remember, right. So the limited rosters, I think that's why I don't think it should be immediate ejection. And what's wrong with a 15 yard penalty is is. It's, it's significant enough. Yeah. And not to mention, there has been a trend like, you know, the old school, you know, the Sean Taylors, the Ryan Clarks, the Ronnie Lotts, yeah. the Brandon Merriweathers. You don't really see those hits anymore because people have now retrained themselves out of hitting guys like that. And so I think, you know, putting in the other rules to protect defenseless receivers has worked positive. So we don't need to continue and continue to try to punish guys punish teams, punish organizations when the players have already taken it upon themselves to to adapt their game, understanding that there's fines at the end of the tunnel and that they don't want to hurt their team. Right. Yeah, and, and there's actually been a couple of un- unintended consequences. I think the, the biggest one, looking at all the data when we was in that meeting, was that DBs are now, because they are have retrained and they're conscious of it, have a- actually suffered uh, other injuries um, or more increased injuries, whether it's concussion or shoulder or knees or ankles, because now they have to change the trajectory of their body um, to make sure that they're not hitting guys um, illegally, which I thought was fascinating. So we try to try to limit one guy getting hurt. Now the guy you know trying to avoid him is getting hurt. It may not be a concussion, but it is maybe a shoulder that keeps him out of the game. Um, I, but I think um, also um, one of the things that I do see where there's a place for it is – is when there's egregious hits. And last year, they showed a couple of them. They saw the hit on um, Aaron Williams by uh, Jarvis Landry, and then they showed a special teams play. Um, I think it was a a Pittsburgh guy hit a guy really late. And I think in those times, maybe a guy should be uh, ejected from the game mentally because it it was an act. You had to think about it, and you had to go find a guy to do it. Yeah, but that's why I think so. I'm I'm big into don't – don't punish me because of the effect. You know what I mean? And so I see so many times where it is a monster hit, and it's a clean hit, but because it was so violent, the flag automatically comes out. Being late, blatantly late, right. after the whistle, 
you know, doing something that has nothing to do with the play. And even that's a little bit of gray here because if a guy's running to the ball or he's still on the field, it has something to do with the play. Yeah. Let your coach tell it. Right. Um, that being said, I just think that it's a slippery slope that you get on when you start just ejecting players out for hits that you deem to be, uh, you know, too much. You know what I mean? I think you have to set rules. Yeah. And maybe maybe there's a, you know, a, a, a three strike and you're out. The same way it is with the um, the personal fouls now that we have. And right. If you get one and two, then you Or repeat offender, right. Yeah. Things like that. So I, I definitely think that that needs to – but just for a guy to, you know, bang, bang, play and get ejected out of the game, I don't think that's right because at the end of the day, even if he is that type of hitter, you know, it, 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 what, what is he doing? Is it, if, if it's a head-to-head hit, then he's going to get the 15-yard penalty. So yeah. after a certain, certain point in time, how about we stop, you know, the, the coaching staff – has to make a decision. Am I going to continue to let this guy out on the field getting 15-yard penalties or am I going to put him off the field and get somebody else in there? So I think it's, you know, they're putting all the responsibility on the players, but from the player's standpoint, I just got to get this guy on the ground. (laughs) You know what? That 15-yard penalty is a whole lot better than missing that tackle and him going to score a touchdown. And that's the reality of the business. No, that makes sense. Guys aren't out there. You know, guys are not there trying to hurt anybody, but at the end of the day, I have to get him on the ground by any means necessary. Yeah, I guess I'm. I just may be a little uh, biased to the to the extremely late hits, man. I mean, I my first year in uh, Arizona, um, you know, it was after my Pro Bowl year. We're playing, um, we playing the Rams, and we know all who his head coach was. It was Fisher and uh, D coordinator <laughs> Greg Williams, and yeah. um, I'm covering kicks. You know, you know, I got blocked in the back tore my my bicep. I, you know, I didn't really take too much about that. Then on a punt, um, my guy Justin uh, Bethel makes the tackle, gets up, is celebrating, and then pa! Somebody smacks me <laughs> out of like nowhere, and they got the 15. But in those cases, I'm like, this dude could have really jacked me up or really hurt me to where I could have been out for the game, or you know, suffered a concussion. And there's really no other penalty outside of a 15-yarder. And I think in those cases where there's intent, malice intent, to hurt somebody or send a message that's outside of the realms of bang-bang plays or uh, the whistle and then, okay, it's a little uh, hit or whatnot um, needs to be addressed. And that's and that's not that doesn't happen a lot in our league because I think guys respect the game and understand how to play it properly. But in those in those in those cases, when it does happen, I think something needs to be done a little bit more than maybe a fine. Yeah, when something's blatant like that, I, I can't disagree. When something's just that blatant and that delayed, then that that's almost outside of the realm of even the game because that's not in between the whistles. Right, that's right, yeah. That's outside of the whistles. The ball's dead. You just you just acting like an idiot at that point if you decide to hit somebody. So from that standpoint, you know not in between the whistles, then maybe it should be an immediate ejection. But in between the whistles playing the game, you know, I think that I don't want them to just start ejecting people like college. Because so many times you see a hit in college, you're like, the guy just playing football. Yeah, he gets yeah, ejected yeah. out the game. I agree with and that. Then it, and then if it's in the second half, <laughs> he then has to sit out <laughs> the first half of the next game. And so, right. You know, it just, you know, there's only so many opportunities you get as a player to go out there and play. And 
sometimes guys are jerks, but most of the time they just out there playing football. And I think that because of the rule changes, guys are starting to play. I'm not going to say a safer brand of football, but um, something to limit the head-to-head collisions. You know what I mean? But I definitely think that it needs to be an onus on really taking out, and I'm not saying taking out the head-to-head collisions, but calling it both ways. You know, when they implemented this rule, it applied to offensive players too. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. And I can I know of a few instances where you'll have a running back catch the ball in the flat, yep. and the, the linebacker's right on him, and the first thing he does is duck, and the linebacker gets fined or the defensive player gets fined because it is a head-to-head contact. But it, it just so it happens so fast that a guy catches the ball, the running back ducks, the linebacker hits him, it's head-to-head contact. But that guy, he was already he had already locked in on his target. He can't get no lower. <laughs> no, I got you, brother. I feel you. I feel you, man. I, I, they need to let us have more than one vote on that committee and get some of these things changed. Cause, you know, because some of the stuff just makes the game way too hard to play. Then I saw a couple of uh, one. I, I won't say silly ones, but ones that were kind of different. Like being able to um, challenge every play outside of touchdowns and and uh, where is that one by? Um, I think Buffalo and Seattle actually recommend it. Permits a coach to challenge any official's decision except scoring plays and turnovers. And I and I know where the spirit of this comes from. You know, I, you know I've you know been taught you know from day one don't allow the refs to uh, dictate the game or you know use them as an excuse. But being up in Buffalo, there have been some calls on us that were just mind-blowing. I remember one time uh, my boy Stefan Gilmore, who's now with the Patriots, was out there on the island um, guarding a guy. The, guy. the guy doesn't even get to Steph, but he's, he falls. He slips. And they called pass interference on Stefan. I, and, we and I'm looking at the replay of this, and nobody could figure out who they called it on because nobody had touched anybody. But they had caught it on Steph. So I, I know where the spirit of this is coming from. I just don't think it's, it's feasible or, or definitely going to pass at all. Well, I think if I think it's feasible in the sense of the college game has already implemented it. And it doesn't need to be a big production. There's people. There's enough, uh, there's enough infrastructure to have people watch the plays and just every play gets reviewed. From that standpoint, it doesn't need to say it doesn't need to take time. It needs to be within the framework of the game, right? So on and so forth. The, you know, there are some issues with that because, especially with the, you know the no huddle offenses and yep. things like that, they kind of mess up the timing of it. Um, but at the end of the day, um, there's always going to be a human element to the game, even though when you're on the wrong side of that, um, it's frustrating. Perfect example. Uh, this year when we played the Cleveland Browns, there was a phantom fumble. The Cleveland player is holding the ball up. The referees give it to us. I'm sure that's going to be on a blooper reel. It was on Come On Man. I think it made one of the, the Come On Man's uh, greats at the end of the year. Um, but I, I, I don't want to continue to stop games for the referees to have to go into the tent, so on and so forth. Um, if anything, and this speaks to a different point, is maybe we need to get – there needs to be full-time referees that watch film, that study, so they understand how players play, they understand their tendencies, they understand what they should be watching for instead of something like that happening. Yeah. And being able to 
And and I find this real particular. And I'm and and I know we have great referees in this game, and I'm not talking them, but sometimes you have to ask yourself, what were you looking at? Because no, exactly. This was obvious as day. Are you just watching the football? Did you get caught watching the football? Right, and and to me, I don't know if full time refs gets that done or not. I mean, you still have the same guy out there. They do watch film now. I don't know if traveling together, staying as a unit works. I mean, obviously we have iPads or services or whatever you decide you want to use. You can watch film at home just like we do as players um, throughout the week. Um, I know they have other jobs, but when you're in the football season, that's part of one of your responsibilities, and you have to carve out time to do it. So I don't know if bringing them in full time will make a huge difference in my mind. I would like to see a little bit more accountability um, as far as how these guys are marked up or, you know, released or fired or, or anything like that because it just seems to me you can the, – the biggest thing I've seen them do is, is shuffle around the, the crews and maybe hide a guy, put him with a good crew so some of his bad calls don't get, don't get seen as much or, um, you know, put a young guy with a veteran guy so he can train him up. But outside of that, I mean, make, making repeatedly bad calls. And I, and I used to be, a, you know, nowhere near on this level but a little league umpire. And you're going to make bad calls. I mean, because, as you say, the human element. But at some point, there has to be some accountability or some skin in the game that goes if you come, uh, become a repeated offender or known around the league. Because I'm pretty sure you guys do this too. You have a breakdown or a scouting report of the refs every week. And there's some crews or some guys – that are just laughing stocks when coaches present, you know, and it's the same guy every time, and, you know, they make fun of them, and you're like, man, where are these calls coming from? So guys like that, to me, need to be weeded out, not grandfathered in because of the buddy-buddy system, but weeded out of the system and find younger guys, guys that are better than him, to replace him, just like they do with NFL players when you, when you, uh, when you no longer produce or can't produce at this high level. Yeah, I definitely think that it's um, it, it, obviously we're in an uber competitive business. Everything we do from running to drills to practice is watched and is critiqued by multiple people. And so that same standard should be held to the people out there officiating the game. We had an incident probably three or four years now in Washington where instead of a ref de-escalating a situation, he was escalating the situation. Oh, yeah, I was in the middle of it. Yeah, with his language. (laughs) And so I'm thinking, like, bro, like, okay, I know everybody's, you know, everybody's testosterone is through the roof. We're in the middle of the game. But if anybody should be calm, it should be you. And under no circumstances as a professional should you talk to anybody like that. And I'm not saying that the player was right on how he talked to the referee, but at the end of the day, somebody has to be able to calm the situation down. And the guy that's supposed to be refereeing the game should be doing that. And I think that, um, and it's tough because, you know, we all have emotions. We all get caught up in stuff. And like anybody, I'm sure they get tired of hearing our mess. But at the end of the day, that's your that's your responsibility is to control this game. And I know you've done it. I've done it too. And sometimes you'll go to the ref after play and say, either you're going to deal with it or I'm going to deal with it. Because if you ain't going to handle it, then I'm going to handle it. Because at the end of the day, we all men out here. And if you're not going to protect me, then I'm going to protect myself. You know what I mean? And then I don't expect uh, somebody to then start talking to me like, you know, I'm less than. But at the end of the day, I think overall, I got a ton of respect for the umpires and the referees in our game because they do do a great job because when we, when they had that lockout and we had the high school referees, 
Now, that was really a show. Yeah. So, keeping everything in context, I do think we have the best in the business, but that being said, it could be better. No, I'm definitely with you on that. I I don't know if they like me at all, if they got a scouting report on me, because I'm always in their ear and their face on Sundays. <laughs> you know how how I get it. it is a, a switch just hits me, and I'm especially if it's a bad one. If it's a real bad, I'm I'm definitely uh, I'm, I feel like I'm almost the head coach on the sideline the way they be talking sometimes. I got maybe I got to work on that. That's something I need to work on in the off season. Um, is how I how I talk to some of them. Some of them I like. They good, good people. Um, actually, some of my friends. Actually, one of the the refs. Uh, uh, parents, this is kind of a side note, li- used to live next to my dad, so I've gotten to know him over the years and, and have a good relationship, and he's, and he's pretty decent in the league. So, like you said, they do the best they can. They do a pretty good job, and they are the best of what we have um, for our game. Uh, so it's definitely much appreciated, you know, as far as what they've done. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it. Yeah, man. And, you know, I had sent you this uh, the other day, uh, a text – or, or, yeah, I texted to you. Um, there was a comment made by the head coach of uh, the UConn basketball team, uh, Coach Gino. Obviously, he's probably uh, – obviously, he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, their team just, you know, set a record this past year of winning 100 straight games and and is just a dominant uh, force. But just the way he coaches, the way he holds his players, because he gets the best of the best, you know, in women's sports, and he doesn't enable them and expects – such great things. And I thought it was great because, you know, me and you have uh, kids, sons, daughters that play sports and uh, we coach sports. Um, so setting that foundation and pretty much the gist of his message was, is that if you're not enthusiastic on, on the bench or in, in practice, if your body language isn't proper um, or if you're not happy for your teammates, you won't play. And I don't care who you are. And, you know, I'll play the next best person. Obviously, he has a, a team full of All-Americans. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, I mean, if you got a superstar on your team out of all them All-Americans, you would like to play them um, to win games. Um, but I, I still think that sends a great message when you can sit sit uh, one of your players down like that. Yeah, I, I think it goes back because, obviously, he's a proven head coach. He's going to be able – he's already written his ticket. You know, he's going to walk away from that game when he wants to walk away from that game. So he doesn't necessarily have – he has tremendous pressure because of the bar that he has set. But at the end of the day, he knows he's not going to lose his job if he loses a game. That being said, I thought it was phenomenal because what I heard out of that was it's not about the result, it's about the process. Right. And the process has to be right. And if the process isn't right, sooner or later the, the, the winning will end and you'll start losing games because you didn't stay true to your process. You can't look back and say, okay, well, I'm going to let that go because we won. I'm going to let her or let him or her, you know, pout about it. And when that stuff slowly starts to creep in and you allow it, that's when you end up with not a good team. And so I look personally, when I watched it, you know, I was convicted because at the end of the day, it's the parents yeah. at a young age that allow these kids to act like this. Yeah, yeah. I, it, and that, even more so, like, the parent being selfish and wanting their kid to do good, and the only time they get excited is when their kid does good. <laughs> and then the right. kid sees that. Yeah. Right? Then the kid sees that, and that's when they respond well. But at the end of the day, you know, and, and, and I battle with this, is that, we all, we have all had successful careers as professional athletes. But at the end of the day, we started playing sports because it was fun. Right. It was fun, and 
that's something that I never want to take away from my kids or any kids. Now, that's a way that we're going to do it. There's a right and wrong way to go about doing something and being good at it. But whenever you take the fun out of it, then that's, you know, that's that's not what it's about. There's a time and place for everything. And when they're kids, it's time to have fun. But he, I mean, what he said to me was so profound because it hit on a couple different levels. We live in a society where you got to be cool. And that's what we see on TV. And they see these athletes who, you know, come across as being cool and got all their stuff together. But I think what they're missing is they don't see that athlete up at 530 in the morning, 630 in the morning, grinding in the gym, taking coaching. You know what I mean? They just yeah. see the little snapshots and the highlights of them walking into the tunnel with their sunshades on, Gucci backpack, you know, living life. But they don't see that hard work and dedication that has been put into that, you know, and like my high school coach told me years ago, you know what I mean? He's like, listen, I don't care if you're the best player in this country, you're going to do things my way or you won't play. And for that, I'm forever thankful because it wasn't just about me being the best, being the best on that team. It was about me being all that I can be for myself and the team. And that's where yeah. I think, we, we, that's why I think I have dropped the ball in something that I said, you know what? I need to be just as excited if my kid does something well or somebody else's kid does something well and allow that energy and that emotion to rub off on my own kids because that's what it's about and that energy is going to be contagious to help your athlete to become a better athlete. Yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I had to have a conversation with your, your, your nephew today because uh, we had practice, you know, we all out there having a good time. Actually, you know, I was I was uh, playing uh, OC out there, drew up my plays, was installing my offense, and, you know, trying to let every kid, you know, play quarterback, play receiver, play running back. And on some of the past plays, um, you know, some kids are just more comfortable throwing it to their friends or people that they, they know a little bit better who may be going to their school or in their class. So he didn't get any – I don't think he got one pass from – uh, any of the quarterbacks today, and he was upset, so upset. I mean, it brought him to tears, and I'm like, dude, man, you a good player, but you're not going to always get the ball. You have to be excited when other kids get a chance to catch the ball and run. You, you'll have your opportunity, but in, in a team sport, sometimes you, your role may just be to run deep and, and be a decoy. I mean, because you have to live your role every time. So, you know, just trying to – help him understand in a, in a team sport, you're not going to always be the centerpiece, you know, because that's, that's the hardest thing. And it kind of really, you know, was a perfect situation kind of watching this video the other day and then having this moment today where I could kind of really speak some of uh, Coach Gino's words of wisdom into him and making sure that his body, body language is always right. Because even as a player, let's say you're not as good or talented as somebody, if you see your teammate like that, you know, upset when you get the ball, that makes you feel a certain way, too. So it, it becomes almost like a, a cancer within the team, even at a young age, because, oh, oh you only happy when you score touchdowns. But if I get my shine on, then it's an issue. And, I, you know, that can you know and that talks to just being a good teammate, your relations, and all as well. So it's great, you know, that you can be able to nip it in the bud. And so that was inspiring to me because I was able to apply it so quickly, um, you know, the next day. Um, with uh, with your nephew, he, and obviously, you know, he's your nephew today, Mason. But I'm going to tell you the whole story to that is that it's great because you know what? 
you want your kids to be competitive. Yeah. You want them to be competitive and you want them to want to be the best. The trick is, is to harness that in a productive way. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm not for everybody getting the ball and everybody has to. I, I've coached flag football going on five, six years now. And I tell parents when they come up to me and ask me why little Johnny or Sebastian ain't doing this, because I'm going to say, if he could do it, he would do it. <laughs> I, am putting, I, I am putting him in a position to be successful because I want him to have fun, and he's not going to have fun if he doesn't know what he's doing. So he can't play five different positions right. on the flag football field. I'm going to put him where, you know, you got a quarterback and the rest of the people are receivers or running backs, right? Yep. So I'm going to put him at a position that you might not think he should be at, but you know what? You're welcome to come out and practice and volunteers, but don't give me that. But that's a whole nother subject. Yeah, but man. Hey, you, <laughs> you had your fair share of parents. I must, you, I must have good parents. Ain't nobody came up to me yet, so. Oh, it's the first practice. Well, yeah, second practice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been good. It's the second year doing it. Uh, we have some good kids. I mean, obviously, you know, you have, you have, we have about four or five go getters, and then the other, the other half are learning. Um, the game, but uh, you know, it's a fun process. You know, it definitely teaches me patience and try to think of different ways to explain things. Because in my mind, you know, I think sometimes when you play, especially at a high level, that you just assume everybody gets it. Like, you know, Caden, <laughs> our sons, Caden Mason, uh, Chris Gore's son is out there, Marcelo, um, the other coach's son, Isaac. I mean, he, they, they just have a great sense of football sports because of their dads and they're into it. But some kids, you have to really try to break it down um, to their level to where they understand it because conceptually they just don't grasp it as quickly as, as other kids. And, and it's definitely been a good experience and a growing experience. But I'm glad I haven't had to face any parents yet. I've, <laughs> I, I, I've coached against some crazy parents. I haven't had any of them on, on our team quite yet. Well, the good thing is I'm a crazy parent and a crazy coach. So <laughs> I, I get it from both sides. But, I, but to your point, I honestly think that the way I always judge the success and we're talking about flag football here, or even yeah. any youth sports, is, is how far can I take the kids? How far can I take each kid? The best kid, can I get him better? And the kid that struggles, can I help him to become a better player? Yeah. Because that's really what it's all about. And the wins will come if I do that. And if they don't come, perfect example. We had a team, um, this was three or four years ago. We were terrible for two years. That same team, those kids stayed together, ended up winning the the area championship the next two or three years, and played for the played for the national championship in Orlando during the Pro Bowl this year. Nice and loss. So it's just a testament to like anything. I tell people, and you know this. Listen, if you're not good at it, practice it. Right. And that's not saying you're going to be the best at it, but what that is saying is that you're going to get better. And that's all you can ask for. It's for you to be the best you you can be. Hey, man, I couldn't put that no better than myself, man. That's why you need to get on Twitter a little bit more and, and post stuff like that, comments and tweets, man, and give the people what they need, baby. And so so where can people follow you? Because, I'm, a, you know, we're going to really build up this, this Twitter joint so you can, you know, get your, uh, your brand and your voice out there, all that wisdom that you have bundled inside of you. Um, well, you know me, man. I'm at Ghostman64, and I've been slacking on Twitter. But you know what I think, you know, as, as they say, the streets are calling, so I'm, I'm going to get one. <laughs> no, I hear you, I hear you. And you can hit me up at uh, One Man Gang 97. I'm on there uh, a little bit more than my man. 
Um, but that's the show for this week. Uh, really appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, be doing this thing, you know, on a weekly basis. Um, this is Capital Punishment. That's my man, Kedrick Ghostin. I'm Lorenzo Alexander, and we out of here. You wasn't with me on the fourth down, huh? Then you can miss me when I touch down. And that's no shade, no shade. It's just those games I don't play. I'm getting wiser with more age and realizing some gon' hate. And that's okay. I'm here.